Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And today we are joined from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil by Dr. Stephanie Rust, a researcher and writer. Thanks for joining us, Stephanie. No problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I guess our first question would be, uh, who is Bolsonaro? <laughs> wow, that is a very you know interesting question. He was in Congress for about 30 years in the House of Deputies. He kind of got his political start after serving as an army captain. And he consolidated his political base here in Rio, in the state of Rio, but a bit in the outskirts, precisely around, they're called like Vila Militaris, like military compounds. Rio, as the former capital of Brazil, has a lot of these, and still kind of a center of army training. So that's kind of where he consolidated his political base, He didn't really do much as a congressman and really kind of surged onto the political scene in the wake of anti-PT, that's the Workers' Party, Partido dos Trabalhadores. He kind of filled the space in a large corruption scandal known as Operation Car Wash, created just a lot of uh, dissatisfaction against the ruling class in general, but particularly PT, which had been in the presidency since 2002 with Lula and then followed by Jilma Rousseff. So kind of surged in this moment of just anti-establishment feelings and kind of capitalized on it with a very right-wing agenda. He's known for praising the military dictatorship, for his vulgar, sexist, and even racist comments. He's always, you know, he's always been one of those people who showed you who he is. <laughs> but I think a lot of people were kind of willing to turn a blind eye because the economy was in ruins. Um, there was this simultaneous political and economic crisis. So a lot of people just kind of saw him as an outsider. But really, he's, you know, one writer, uh, Vincent Bevins, describes him as Operation Condor, which was the U.S. back operations throughout Latin America that upheld various military dictatorships. So Operation Condor meets YouTube, right? So that's kind of how he established this base by being very popular online also. And even some of his internet fans call him Mito because his his whole name is Jair Masaya Bolsonaro. So people saw him as this kind of Messiah coming to rid Brazil of corruption and and crime. Also, that was a big part of his platform. 
So I guess he's he's come to power on the back of this, you know, economic crisis. We're in the midst of a global health crisis at the moment. There are some concerns around the. I guess I have two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some concerns around the world that are. Uh, authoritarian leaders might use this health crisis as an opportunity to grab power and further limit civil liberties that maybe the restrictions on movement and assembly that we're seeing might just be the new normal once the crisis has passed. How do you see that playing out with Bolsonaro? But also there's been some reports in The Guardian this week that uh, there is dissatisfaction with how Bolsonaro has handled the crisis and that there are perhaps maybe largely symbolic protests happening against him? Uh, is he going to be able to weather this storm? Yes, that's a great uh, question. I think, so the economic crisis here in Brazil was already happening, like actually since he kind of came into power, but particularly since uh, January, the heial to the dollar has been falling. It, it reached five heais to $1, whereas uh, that's the highest it's ever been. When I got to the to Brazil, it was you know, just over two to one. So just to give you some, uh, an example, and I got here in 2014 of how much the economy has gone downhill. This also did start under Jilma in part because the 2008 crisis was a little bit delayed here based off of, you know, the commodities boom and everything. Bolsonaro was already facing a lot of pressure. On March 15th, he called protests against Congress and the Supreme Court. And this is a little bit technical. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it was he was essentially kind of calling his supporters to protest against Congress and the Supreme Court because of how um, government finances are issued. So whether you distribute them to states or to kind of, we, as we say in the U.S., like pork belly, like how different parts of the budget are distributed. And he was unsatisfied with the lack of executive power kind of called his supporters on March 15th. And that was right during the outbreak of the coronavirus, which I must say, Bolsonaro and many people, his test results are still kind of debated, but many people in Bolsonaro's cabinet and who traveled with him to the U.S. have tested positive. So he and other just elites in general have been the main vectors of the virus spreading to Brazil. So people who are financially able to travel to Italy, the US, are the people who brought um, the virus here to Brazil, which has a lot of different implications that I'd love to talk about later. But so he calls these protests. He himself, his test results aren't out. He's already like touching people and shaking hands. He's initially said he was going to call them off. He ended up going and supporting them. And kind of, you know, hugging and kissing crowds as politicians are wont to do. So that all already sparked this idea that he wasn't handling the crisis well. And this has kind of been an issue if if we're asking this question about like authoritarianism. He or, or the potential for um, a new authoritarian regime like after Corona with these quarantines put in place and restrictions on movement, he has tried to downplay the virus itself, he's just referred to it as a little flu. I think in part because he's extremely concerned with this economic question. That has been one of the central pillars of trying to make it seem like his presidency is legitimate, particularly through his financial minister, Paulo Guedes. So, you know, 
that's supposed to be the adult in the room getting things done um, for the economy. And that hasn't proved um, to be true. So he really doesn't want this to continue the slowdown. So in a weird way, he's actually been butting heads with governors, particularly the governor of Sao Paulo, Doria, and the governor of Rio State, Witzel, who have implemented these lockdowns precisely because they're the, the states that have the largest cities and people who, who have been traveling from Europe and the U.S. bringing the virus here. So, you know, he's been saying that governors are job killers and things like that. So he, in some ways, he isn't imposing these kind of draconian restrictions on movement because his concerns are other. I'd be curious to see how that's going to change within the next week. They say this is kind of going to be the decisive week for numbers. And that's particularly because if Corona has mostly been confined to the upper classes here in Brazil. It is is spreading throughout the general population and in some ways in a very tragically. Um, a lot of these upper middle and class people are still having their, you know, cleaning ladies come. And the first death here in Rio was actually a cleaning lady who who her boss did not make her aware of the dangers. She, uh, the woman who passed away was diabetic, and so she was high risk. And that's kind of the fear now is what's going to happen when the, the virus is spreading um, in such an unequal society. We've spoken a little bit about the potential restrictions on liberty that have already been imposed in one way or another by Bolsonaro and may uh, be further extended as a result of the virus. But to turn to questions of land, I seem to remember that there were movements like the Landless Workers Movement mm -hmm. and so on in Brazil that had quite an impact on Brazilian politics and society. So I'm wondering if you can comment on the Landless Workers Movement in particular, but how are or how have social movements responded both to Bolsonaro and to this um, impending health crisis? So the Landlers workers, workers Movement has kind of been one of the main political opponents, but also ideological opponents of Bolsonaro's project. Um, and this from when he was campaigning, he's often characterized them as land invaders. And that's in part been one of the ways that he's tried to garner favor for legislation to for the right to bear arms here in Brazil. So it's it's very restricted. You, you know, you need to go through licensing and training to own a firearm. Bolsonaro is kind of the presidential embodiment of a of a long kind of tradition or recent tradition here in Brazil of what is known as the Bible bullets and bull caucus. Bull is in cows. So evangelical movements, military and police officers, and then also agricultural, large uh, agribusiness. And so part those kind of joined forces when you're talking about the MST, right? You're trying to establish the MST as invaders on the territory. And how do you stop this? By liberating gun ownership for uh, large landholders. So they've always been kind of in the sights 
no pun intended, of uh, Bolsonaro. That kind of came to a head, especially with the fires in the Amazon. Even though MST wasn't directly related, kind of those territorial questions were certainly there. A lot of people attributed the fires in the Amazon to controlled burns by medium and large scale um, agro businesses. And that's kind of why Bolsonaro didn't really have much. Uh, he was very negligent of those fires because it was actually they were being started by some of his main supporters. In terms of how that combines with or how what that might say about the virus, I kind of look at things a little bit more from an urban perspective. So just being based in Rio, you know, the real question if we're talking about space is how densely packed Rio's favelas are, right? Some favelas like Hosinia and Vigigal even have problems with tuberculosis. And if we're thinking of a highly contagious virus, people in close close quarters, people that also, even if there's the space of the favela, but then there's also the space of the metropolitan region. So we have people who commute from other municipalities, spending, you know, hours on buses, again, or other forms of public transportation, again, in closed quarters. So that's going to be how space really affects the spread of this virus. Because even, you know, even in other countries, we've seen that it's highly populated areas that where that initial spread can be detrimental to the health system. Even though Brazil does have a public health system, it's been increasingly um, made precarious by various local, state, and national governments, particularly the, the Temer administration, which was the one that uh, performed a coup against Jilma. So these are kind of the questions when we're, we're thinking about this virus is how inequality, one, you know, forces certain people have to take public transportation and commute throughout the city, um, but also how that same inequality has certain people living in very, very dense urban spaces. And and favela activists are very aware of that question. There have been already a couple of campaigns around hand washing, but then if you're talking about favelas, which are you know informal settlements throughout the city, a lot of them don't have uh running water or consistent running water so how are you going to have a hand washing campaign when people don't have water i live like facing a hilltop favela and they usually during heavy rains there's a siren warning people of landslides that siren has been warning people to stay in their houses to combat coronavirus it's a very straightforward message but you know that assumes that people have that choice and it's also, in many ways, ignoring, like I said, how the main vectors of this virus have been the middle and upper classes returning from Europe and the U.S. and, you know, kind of diminishing the importance of, of self, self-isolation and things like that. It it seems kind of insane that the president of a country might be like one of the main spreaders of the virus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's denied it. He keeps saying that he doesn't have it, but I I believe it's like 22, at least 20, but I think it's up to 22 people who traveled with him to the U.S. 
have confirmed, have tested positive for COVID-19. You earlier said that, well, made reference to Bolsonaro's relationship to social media and uh, being, you know, expert at uh, manipulating the media to create a certain image which uh, resounds or, you know, brings echoes of Trump. Trump is also known to play with uh, notions of race and white supremacy. How does Bolsonaro approach questions of race and nation in Brazil? (sighs) That's something that I'm kind of thinking about in my larger research, so I don't have a definitive answer. I do remember, (laughs) so when Bolsonaro was running, uh, David Duke, the former... Supreme Wizard. I don't know his title. I don't know Ku Klux Klan titles exactly, but a wizard of the Ku Klux Klan kind of praised Bolsonaro's run saying, you know, oh, he looks like one of us. He's like one of us. And Bolsonaro kind of rejected that endorsement, you know, saying Brazil is a mixed country and we're proud of this this mixed heritage. But (laughs) I think less a month or so ago, time is, I don't know, a crazy concept right now. Who knows <laughs> um, exactly what or what anything's happened when days feel like months. But I believe it was sometime in January or February. A member of Bolsonaro's cabinet, the cultural secretary, basically had a video paraphrasing Goebbels, calling for a national culture, and and very much using the same words and and same aesthetic as well. You know, he sat at a desk. It's a it was a viral video. He sat at a desk. A picture of Bolsonaro behind him and a Brazilian flag. He was eventually fired because that kind of avert white supremacy is frowned upon. But there are ways, you know, to talk about race without talking about race. And Brazil's pretty expert at it in various ways. Overt things that Bolsonaro has said is just being against quotas. So uh, under Lula, but definitive definitively under Jilma, quotas were passed for universities. They're first and foremost socioeconomic. So did you go to public school, federal universities, sorry. Did you go to a public school? And then it's based on the race of the state where the federal university is located, as well as other socioeconomic factors. But, you know, he's always been a staunch opponent of quotas. Precise, you know, there are ways to say because this is a mixed country and you don't know who is black, but There are other ways where people who support quotas will say, well, the police are able to discern who is black, right? Because at least here in Rio, where the police have been responsible for anywhere between 20 to 40 percent of homicides within a given year, the majority of those deaths are poor, young black men. So the state is very capable of identifying people by race. And Bolsonaro is a big proponent of that type of state identification by race without saying as such. So one of his favorite catchphrases is, you know, a good thug is a dead thug. You know, he has widely, he's his security minister and justice minister, uh, Sergio Moro, who also imprisoned Lula. So he could not run for president against Bolsonaro in 2018, has been trying to pass a security bill, a crime bill that would essentially enable police to shoot if they're, or to not be prosecuted if they shoot someone and kill someone if they had any sort of heightened emotions. So fear, it's completely subjective. It's kind of 
similar to the context of this of the US that I also know fairly well where you know oh the the police officer was scared for their life so this this killing is justified so he's very like capable of tapping into that a racialized rhetoric without necessarily talking about race but that's something that's kind of widespread throughout Brazilian society and like even linguistic norms uh people rarely talk about race in in a very oblique ways but i think one of the main ways that it's discussed especially for right wingers is through the lens of crime right and invariably where crime also happens right so favelas are going to be the target they're going to be they're going to also embody like race without them having to really use that that language overtly in terms of sources of hope for change within brazil steph what are the positive things that are going on and what are the things that others outside brazil should pay attention to and possibly support in your opinion that's a really good question i wish i was a little bit more hopeful cuz i think i think things feel a little bit stagnant so if we're talking about politics even though bolsonaro is incredibly weak it doesn't really seem like there's a very active left party or coalition of parties that are mobilizing to take him on i think in general because bolsonaro is often very overt in his language regarding protesters like mst there's been a certain a uh, diminishing of street protests but with that i mean from my window right before we actually started talking people have been doing panelasas which is when people bang pans pots and pans uh outside the window and just screaming you know like out with bolsonaro so there's been a lot of like very vocal though you know properly from people's windows and isolated uh given the given the virus protests against him in people's own ways one of the kind of bitter sweet things coming out of brazil has been the reaction to the death of mariele franco 2 years ago so after she was assassinated again here in rio um something i didn't really talk about was militias and how they play a part in Bolsonaro's base but also just politics in general here in Rio particularly through the control of territory but militias are very much uh, suspected to be behind the assassination of Mariele Franco but after her death there has been a kind of growing movement of particularly young black women and queer and trans people running for office and quite a few of them won at various levels of government state governments and and uh the lower house of Con- congress in particular so there are some political movements happening in terms of party politics but in in the streets i think one thing is there has been a lot of you know solidarity around the coronavirus and people trying to build those mutual care networks and having these different campaigns but i think that's how people are acting because of a certain fear of repression so the large scale mobilizations that kind of in some ways brought about bolsonaro when when brazilians were very much in the streets in 2013 and, and then 2014 protesting things like 
um, the World Cup and the Olympics. Those have kind of died down, I think, a little bit also because of just political fatigue, but also this fear of repression. So things have kind of gone back to kind of grassroots organizing. And I think some of those networks are really already in a great position to tackle the virus at the local level in terms of like providing groceries for elderly people and communicating through WhatsApp and different social media about, you know, staying at home or how people can even just have a sense of like social, you know, social contact. Brazilians are very, you know, warm and affectionate in general. So like, this is kind of a weird, (laughs) a weird time for everyone to be, you know, closed up in their houses and not out socializing. So like, I think the ways in which Brazilians are trying to respond to the virus. And then ultimately, I do have to say Brazil's public health system. It's called SUS, the Unified uh, Health System. While it's precarious, it is, uh, or has been made precarious, I'd rather say, it is widespread throughout the country. And I think is finally getting its like recognition in terms of its importance. So a lot of people are really mobilizing, at least in support of this hard fought public service that is now, you know, more important than it's been for, it's not more important than it's been, but people are understanding it's important and its importance in ways that they really hadn't just by nature of this crisis. We'll have to leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us, Steph. Thank you very much for having me. That was Dr. Stephanie Rice there talking to us from Rio de Janeiro about Bolsonaro. Uh, Andy, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for having us, Cam. Yep, Global Intifada is up next. We'll catch you next time.
You're listening to 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community. At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe, and be kind to each other. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time, and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. 